it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's the best way to get started in the market? Download Andrew's ebook for free at stockmarketpdf.com. I love this podcast because it crushes your dreams of getting rich quick. They actually got me into reading stats for anything. You're tuned in to the Investing for Beginners podcast. Led by Andrew Sather and Dave Ahern. Step-by-step premium investing guidance for beginners. Your path to financial freedom starts now. Starts now. All right, folks, welcome to Investing for Beginners podcast. Today, we have a very special guest returning to us. Uh, we haven't talked to him in a little while, but it's great to have him back. We have Maj Swedan, from, who is the co-founder of Geo Investing, and he's here to talk to us about beginning investing and some other cool stuff. So, Maj, uh, thanks again for joining us today. We really appreciate it, and I'm going to turn it over to you and Andrew, and we'll go ahead and get started. Yeah, Maj, thanks for joining us again. You have this really cool post on your Twitter that you pinned about what to do if you want to be a full-time investor, some tips. And you know, for people who aren't watching on YouTube, you also have a pretty cool electric guitar sitting there next to you. Yeah. Uh, we were talking a little bit off air about some of that. So can you kind of talk about maybe how you learned to play a guitar and how that's kind of has some unique parallels to how you learned to be a full-time investor? Yeah, probably. Thanks, Andrew. Uh, Dave, for having me here today. I love talking about this kind of coloring between the guitar and investing. And it wasn't something I figured out the, the connection until years later, both of my kind of journeys of playing guitar and investing. And um, so when I started playing guitar, I was, I must have been like 12, 13 years old or something. And my mom gave me an acoustic guitar to, to you know, mull around with a little bit. And I wasn't naturally talented at music at all. I can't sing. <laughs> I can't even hum right. <laughs> so, <laughs> So I thought, this is going to be really challenging. I don't know where to start, right? So we thought, let's give me some lessons. So she, we tried to go through a couple of instructors, and that didn't go too well. And they, they both started out, you know, with jazz you know, and reading music, very complicated situation for me at that time. It just wasn't the way to teach me. Uh, so I just gave up on it for a little bit and became disinterested. You know, several years later, I picked up maybe an electric guitar because my friend had one and um, wanted to be cool. Just to have it at least. <laughs> so, <laughs> I got to figure out how to play this thing. 
So um, I really didn't want to go back to the whole lesson thing because of my my previous kind of experience with that. So I tried playing by ear, and you know we had the you know, cassette tapes then. That was oh, then yet CDs was but no like advanced technology. So it was, it was really a lot of time to get a few notes for me because I kind of wasn't naturally gifted here. I eventually gave that up for a little bit. You know, fast forward more years when I was like maybe 25, 26, I uh, started getting into classical music. Because yeah, my dad used to be into classical music when I was young, really young, and I hated it. And then I just somehow just I started liking it. I don't know why. <laughs> and I started listening to classical guitar. Now, Mr. Govia, for example, Christopher Parkinson, and really enjoying it more. So I said, maybe let me go, let me revisit this whole guitar thing and go find a classically trained guitar teacher. You know, so and see what how that turns out to uh, works out for me. And I found a guy, um, a Pete Smizer. He lived in the suburbs of Philadelphia you know, near me. Actually, I knew his brother who was a drummer. And he had a really interesting way of teaching guitar. And he was teaching theory, but he started, you know, he taught it in a way that was easy for me to understand. And he um, was really laid back about it. And also discussed the art of playing guitar also came out with him, too. It wasn't just about the theory. And so that was really cool. And I, I kept at that for a few years, maybe several years, maybe I would say, you know, seven, eight years. And then I just wanted more, though. I wanted more of the creativity side of it. And I know like, playing classical guitar is really hard. You know, if you get from the beginning and end of the song, you know that day you play guitar. Yeah. So I just needed to be, I knew it wasn't for me. I mean, I loved it. And I, and I, I wish I could be a great classical guitar person, but I, I got what I could out of it. I learned to read music enough. I learned to understand the instrument a little bit more and become intimate with it. Um, and start writing some of my own music here and there. So I put that down, moved to Florida, and it must have been I was in Florida for, you know, maybe four or five years. I mean, this is back in now 2001. And I, I decided, you know what, let me revisit the guitar. My friend, Grant, started playing guitar. He's been doing pretty good. He never touched the guitar. I'm like, well, who's, how'd you do this all of a sudden? <laughs> and he told me this guy named Dice Kimura out in Hollywood, Florida. I was teaching how to play guitar. And I said, okay, cool. I'm going to meet Dice. <laughs> so I got a lesson with Dice, and all I had was my acoustic guitar. So I didn't bring that with me. I go to his, his studio. He gives me one of, his, one of his guitars. And all I knew at that time is like the, the basic blues scale and guitar. It's called a pentatonic scale, right? It, you know, major, minor, whatever. And you, it's easy, easy to play, five notes, really. So he's like, you know, he, he gets puts on YouTube, hooks me up, and puts on a backing track, which I didn't even know what backing track was at the time. So, you know, backing tracks are like, you know, um, and this is, by the way, this is probably about eight years ago or so to, to date that. It's like an A, a so this backing track is like drums, bass, um, synthesizers, but no guitar in the back, really. Maybe some rhythm section, but rhythm guitar. So he says, all right, play, play something, improvise, you know? So I started doing it and it all came back to me and I was doing, you know, I was further that in that moment that I had ever in my career of improvising, right? He introduced an element of art thing for me, right? Uh, that made me, made it come out for me. So, and this, his approach to learning guitar was basically this, you know, we're not going to, I'm not going to pound you with theory. I'm going to pound you with, you know, just a journey. We're going through a journey of playing guitar. And as we come across theory when you're playing, we're going to sprinkle it on across the way. And that's how you're going to learn. But I want you to learn how to play and what connects with you, basically. And it all sounded silly to me in the beginning, right? Like, you know, mm -hmm. come on with your guitar. I mean, come on. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> So, but eventually you, you start to understand that. And, you know, there's even like, I would ask him sometimes about theory and he wouldn't even want to talk about it. Because, you know, if I tell you, you don't even understand it because you're not even play the concept around it. Right. So, and at work, because if there were that same question I asked him, I would encounter it. 
I encountered that question again in my head two years ago, two years forward. Wow, now I get it. I just figured it out. And then we talked about it. So I thought, and now I'm getting better. I'm writing music now. I still can't sing, by the way. So. <laughs> neither can I. Ask. Yeah, neither can I. <laughs> so we're just going to investing, right? So the thing was, was like, I, and I thought on my own journey as an investor, you know, full-time investor, and then, you know, geo-investing. And I was never, you know, natural born investor. I wasn't, you know, I probably got, it was a, my investment beginning started with like many, sorry, I just didn't know where to start. I had no background at all. My 19 years old, I read Peter Lynch's book, went up on Wall Street. I knew I connected with what he was doing, but I had no idea about, you know, no real finance background. And it wasn't this math whiz. And, um, you know, you had this kind of preconceived notion that you have to be this math whiz to be good in stocks, right? And you're doing math all day long. And so I had to approach it differently. And so when I thought about my years of investing, I, how I learned to invest was just the way I played guitar. I found a, and this is, you know, step one, I think, of in, in the 10 steps of investing is try and find out what you connect with, right? So, you know, try to kind of introduce yourself to a few different things. About, are you going to be a trader? Are you going to be, you're going to go short or long? Um, are you going to be a fundamental investor, technical analysis, whatever it is, you just, just understand those basic kind of things and, and try and figure out which one you connect most with. And I connected a lot with fundamental investing value, you know, value plus growth. That, I was never a deep value guy, but was make, trying to find these, you know, interesting stories that make sense to me. And that was a lot of my beginning too. I was really interested in understanding business models from the qualitative point of view, like what makes the story pretty. Then I'll dig in the numbers later. And so, because everybody wants a, well, a quick cut approach to investing. Well, that would be boring to me. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, you know, investing is a collection of experiences over time. That's how I look at it. Mm-hmm. And you know you can write these down in a journal, and you can keep them. They're all in my head. I just remember them all. But you know, I would recommend, and I wish I did this to, to young kids: is like when you are investing, keep a journal. Mm-hmm. Tyler Dupont, out in Boca Raton, friend of mine and an investor, he has a, a book um, about. He's selling like a journal book to help investors kind of um, input their experiences, checklist kind of thing. So I recommend that you, people do that kind of thing. You you it'll start flowing. So when you do it that way, they became like I looked at investing more. It, it, when I look back, it was more artistic in the way I can develop for me. And, you know, I kept it very simple in the beginning, as Dice did with me. My guitar teacher, you know, let's, let's keep it simple when, you know, it'll get more complex as we move along, as you can handle it. And the same thing with investing. And, and so I was just doing, you know, when I started investing, you know, you know take it, you know, what's the growth in the EPS? What's the growth in revenue? What's the earnings per share, you know? And you give me a P ratio, slap it on. And that was my kind of way I would look at things, right? And over time, I broke out of that stuff, the special situations, you know, looking at distress situations, turnarounds, which are fun, just a whole different bunch of stuff. And they, they start kind of building a little bit on you. And that's how that theory got laid on to me. And, these, and each one of these different, each of these different kind of modes of investing have maybe a different theory to them a little bit, right? A little different pieces of the puzzle. You start learning that way. So I didn't want to become an expert in anything. You know, I became really good at identifying situations because of that whole you know, journey. So I know pretty quickly, I mean, I'll know quickly if I'm reading a press release or a story, I'll know within 10 minutes or, or less. And I think, you know, a lot of seasoned investors will tell you that. They understand right away if they're going to want to like company or not, even before calling the sometimes. And so that's really the, the way I kind of would tie it in. And, you know, and it, one thing too is that he stresses, I stress in that, in the full-time investing article is you get your practice in, get your hours in. I don't know. Is it, what is the hours from Malcolm? Is it, is it, is it 10,000 hours? Yeah, it was 10,000. He's what yeah, he stated. It, you know, it's true. So the earlier you get started, the more, and you retain a lot of that too in the early years. You retain it. So do the research, get busy with it so you can get that experience really quick and really stop paper training. 
you're getting real life experience in making and losing money. It's the only way you're going to, because you can't experience the emotional part of investing without really investing. And the reason we all fail in the end, or we fail in the end is when we do fail, it's bad analysis or really bad emotion, <laughs> you know, and, yeah. and uh, response. So that's really important about, you know, and also if you're, if you're investing in smaller cap companies, there's liquidity issues. You can't just say, paper trade, hey, I bought the stock, um, you know, 10,000 shares of stock, you know, at this price, right? You're going to move it potentially. So getting the real life experience is really important. You know, moving along that list, as I'm thinking along the list. Um, when it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to Nerd Wallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before Nerd Wallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Budgeting was always a challenge for me. I struggled to find the best way to keep track of all of my money. Not to mention all the time tracking down receipts, cataloging expenses, and trying to figure out what went wrong with my air quote system until Monarch Money. Monarch Money allowed me to easily see what is going on with my finances, helping me get a better handle on my spending, budgets, and more. It's my go-to app every day, more so than my bank, because I can quickly see where I am with my budgets and spending, allowing me to invest more and spend time on the things that I want to do. It's my GPS for money. Monarch is a top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all of your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com beginners. Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch has built-in features to collaborate with your partner, family, or financial advisor. Invite them to your account at no extra cost, and they'll get their own login info and a joint view of all of your finances. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications, and more. In fact, Monarch Money is one of the first to bring you direct Apple Card, Apple Cash, and savings syncing with the latest iOS 17.4 update. Now you can sync your wallet directly for seamless budgeting. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com beginners. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com beginners for your extended 30-day free trial. Before before you do, I was sure. super curious if you could go back in the memory banks and maybe give an example of something that really stuck out to you as a story about a company that just got you really excited and maybe how that investment did for you. Yeah, sure. So I can give you I can give you a good and bad. You know, one that was you know a good situation was, um, and they both end up turning bad in the, in the long run. <laughs> but one of I made money on, one of them I didn't. It's, I mean, it's, it's, it's actually a lot easier to go all day on this. Um, there was uh, one was wireless telecom. It was a, a, a ticker symbol was, I believe still is today, WTT. And then they made, um, I guess if I remember correctly, noise cancel. When I was looking at it back in the early 90s, 
I think maybe it was 94-ish, maybe, or 93, 92. I can't remember the exact date. In that area somewhere, they made this noise cancellation technology, basically helping cleaning up signals within communication, be cleaner, less noise around it, right? Some more communication applications. So I remember at that time, I think the CEO's name was Gary Simonian. I can't remember if it's him or someone with a different company. Now, I, at that time, was, you know, fresh off Peter Lynch's book, a couple years, really into it. And one thing Peter Lynch would do is he would basically call management and call the company and get the actual annual report delivered to him. So you have the 10K and 10Qs, which we can get SE.gov, right? right. That's actually filed, the numbers and everything. And we all call a 10K the annual report, right? But the uh, the actual annual report that you get from like the company, it's much more from art. There's a letter in it often from the CEO or the chairman of the board uh, to investors. There's a lot more introspective nature of um, what's what's going on in the business, and you learn a lot more. And it's, it's we call us, you know, in geo. We always use the word information arbitrage. We're always trying to find public information that's not really as known out there. So this is a tool that was really interesting. And so my office, I had an office time was it was it was like this high around the all around the office. It was a pretty big office of just annual reports. <laughs> and one of the things Peter had said was like, you know, let's look for some of the more more boring companies, the cheapest looking annual report, and just take a look at it. <laughs> That's how, <laughs> I saw I was in a report sitting there, and it was an ugly black, thin paper kind of thing, just sitting there staring at me. And it's a like, wireless telecom. That's all it was, right? I go look at that. <laughs> I pick it up, and it right away was this letter to shareholders. And the stock had been going through some issues at the time. The stock, I think, was around maybe two or three bucks, if I remember correctly. Not the one so hot, but it had a couple of good quarters. And the annual report basically addressed some of that the problems coming in the past and the things they were doing to make it better. And it really stuck with me. And there was actually maybe some guidance in there too, which was not in any of the other areas you could find. Financial guidance, which made us not really undervalued. And what I had noticed at the time, and this is you know, the lesson I learned then, you know, there's always a lesson I'm trying to learn at that point was the margins were incredible. I mean, you know, like, these margins. So they're all, if they grow revenue only at a 10% clip with the margin expansion, they're going to they're grow at 30 40%. Imagine if this early growing revenue, right? So that was, I had, I think at the time, I want to say net margins after tax was maybe 12, 15%. And then they eventually got this 20% at some point, which is going to be our lesson. So then that was in Philadelphia, Philadelphia area at the time there. And at that time, the American Stock Exchange used to have events in Philadelphia where they would invite management teams to come and speak to investors. And I was, I'm going to this, you know, I was 23 years old, neighbors land, I don't know. <laughs> and uh, I go in there and uh, actually, what was it? That was probably, and email was about that age. Yeah. And um, and this, this suit was way too big for me. <laughs> you know, I, and I'm about all these old dudes, right? You know, and uh, like, who is, what is this kid doing over here? And I started asking them real little questions. Like, everyone there was for the food and the coffee and the free food. I was there to ask questions. And Harry's <laughs> like, what's going on over here? <laughs> and I think there was like a, a part of Pure book where I knew he might have said, like, if I remember correctly, he like he went to a payphone or something to say buy the stock, or whatever, because he, he, he heard a story or something to his analyst or whatever. So the second I heard the story, I went to the payphone and I had a part at the time, so at the time Steve Haynes said, Steve, we got to buy a stock like right now, we're buying stock. And I just, that was the scene there. So it was that thing that was my first, like, you know, one on one interaction with the management, with the CEO of a company. I learned the margin thing really stuck in my head, right? And yeah, I think a multi, multi bagged and had really, I think I had a triple line or something like that pretty, pretty quickly. So that was a good part. And I sold it all, got out of it. And I kind of caught, you know, the stock, you know, probably in the middle of its margin expansion. I wish I would have caught it a lot earlier. I probably would have caught a lot more of the, um, you know, the move. 
So then you fast forward many years later, and I, I just forgot about it, you know, and me and my money moved on like I, like I did a lot back then. You know, I was trying to find, I used to try to find stocks at inflection points of growth. I want to find a stock that's going to have about entering a period of maybe four to six, seven quarters of really good growth. At that time, I was more of a shorter term investor. I was looking for great companies to hold for about six to nine months to 12 months that were in an inflection point of growth. And I wasn't really a day trader, but I was trying to combine short-term investing with fundamental investing. And we call that now the geo power ranking, the executive quarters of growth you can have, a company can have, maybe 10% revenue growth and over 30% EPS growth at least. As long as it's valued nicely, we take a look at that and we say, oh, this might be a pretty interesting momentum stock that we can have for many quarters of positive performance. I'll so, pause you just for one second just to try to translate. So if somebody's just tuning in for the first time, by saying like inflection point of growth and by saying higher growing revenues and margin expansion, what you mean is the company's getting more profitable. So they're not only are they growing profits because they're getting bigger, but also because they're cutting costs or whatever they're doing to become more profitable. So you get almost like an, a multiplicative effect on the growth. Yes, you call that kind of operating leverage. You know, if you can get a, a lot of earnings, net income growth, a lot more net income growth compared to your sales growth. So if sales growth 10%, earnings growth 3%, we call that maybe operating leverage. Mm-hmm. That's like the fancy term for it, right? And that's one of the best things you can find from multi-baggers. If you can find that in the very early stages and you, you're finding a, a stock that's you know reasonably priced, Going through that type of transition, it's, it's ama- it can be amazing for sure. Um, and that's a lot what we looked for back then. So when I, when I was looking at, um, you know, years later, maybe 20 years, I looked at WTT and it was like in the, in the garden, like a dollar stock, maybe I don't know, less than a dollar. And I went back to try to look what happened to it. And I just, the margins just got, re- the margins got destroyed. So the margins went from the 20% to like, you know, to nothing eventually, right? and I'm losing money. So that was, you know, the, a few lessons I learned from that were like, you know, okay, these margins can go through cycles, right? Mm-hmm. And, and understand the margin cycle of a company, especially in tech companies. New products, new breakthroughs, new technology can really either enhance or destroy your margins potentially, right? Yeah. Um, so that was something that was like a lesson I learned there. And and all the lesson was like I like you know I invest a lot longer term now, but this whole notion of being a long term investor doesn't mean set it and forget it. I mean, you need to be a, you know, you're going to go long term in, in stocks. Like I'm talking like five ten years, especially these dental caps. My long stock has been out 14 years now. Is that you better understand what's going on with that company because a lot of these, you know, multi baggers turn into mega busts. And everybody talks about how I missed the monster beverage, right? Well, right. what about where I saw monster beverage too early? What about all those stocks that, you know, just get destroyed in a very short period of time sometimes too, right? <laughs> you, know, you can be holding this up for 10 years and boom, you can, you can lose everything in a heartbeat. So, you know, there's a kind of art to short-term investing and art to long-term investing. Both they both can be done. That's, that was a lesson I kind of learned from that WTT. Uh, the lessons I learned the hard way was uh, the Stefan Company, which oh, made I own them. I own them now too, though. I owned that back in the day too, around that same time, maybe before WTT. And I bought that too late in its growth cycle that time. And at that time, the symbol was is SPCO today, right? SPCO, I think is the symbol today. Uh, so it, you're talking about Stepin? Yeah, Stepin. Yeah. And it, was, it used to be TSC back in my okay. day. Was, I, maybe I'm thinking of a different company. I'm thinking of their SCL, Stepin. Uh, that's, that's, different, yeah. That's, yeah, that's different, yeah. The Stepin company, is a, they make products for barbershops, basically. 
Okay, you different know, company. Really Way different company. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Way different company. Probably better at that time. But at that time, I got into the story too late. It had good margins, and I bought that at the peak of its growth cycle, and I didn't make any money, and I probably lost money on it. And what I learned from that lesson was that the company at the time was trying to get away from its core where they're really good. Uh, and and it took them years. They're back now. I'm, I, for full disclosure, I, I think I own a stock right now. Um, I think yeah, they have a nice activist investor in it now uh, on the board, friendly investor. And I think they've turned the company around. Um, now they're going, they're going back to their core now. And they're, you know, a 10% player where they can probably, in the market where they could probably get, and they're, they're the leader at a 10% player. And they can probably get maybe 50% of the market in several years. But that was one of those things where the one lesson I took there is, you know, look, I mean, make sure that if you are looking at a team that is going to go away from its core, understand that what that is and that they got the juice to do it. Sometimes staying in the core is the best way to do it. And then trying when you're investing in companies and understanding management's prior, I always ask in my interview with the management team, tell me your journey to get here. Everything you've done right and wrong. And I kind of want to hear what that process was like. I want to see it and I want to hear, you know, did you get into too many pieces that were you always unable to do things well outside the core? And if that's the case, why is it going to be a different day? <laughs> If you're doing that, <laughs> right? Yeah, you know. So, um, so, so yeah, that's that was when the other I invested in a fraud one time when I was young. I, little little field Adams. I didn't do enough. I, mean, I made money in it and I got lucky, but it ended up being a fraudulent company. I just because I believed everything they, they told to me. I, I believed everything I saw, and I didn't do enough digging, to, enough background the CEO to understand there was some. Those were very early. Those were my first five years. Kind of. Those were three interesting lessons I learned along the way there. Mm-hmm. So I think the big takeaway is having skin in a game really accelerated your learning because you, you know, you had a lot at stake, you know, if the companies went wrong, then you have no one to blame but yourself. And that's sometimes, unfortunately, that's the best learning experience you can have, isn't it? It really is, man. You know, from Peter Lynch book to doing an investment contest for maybe six months or, or less, you know, and to investing my, my, you know, a couple thousand bucks in the market that I saved. I remember being nervous, you know, pacing that, you know, every time I, every morning at 930, you know, uh, earnings, are coming, earnings are coming out, they can be good or bad, you know, pacing the floor. And when I learned, you know, it was never, it was funny, was that another lesson I learned at that time was it was never as good as I, the, the movement in the stock and the reaction to the earnings mm-hmm. was never as great as I thought it was going to be when things were good. Never as horrible as it was when things were bad. <laughs> so <laughs> I learned, okay, don't, I mean, don't, don't always panic, right? Or right. analyze the news. You know, if, if it's bad news, is it was it temporary? If it's good news, is the stock already priced in? You know, if the good news already, these kind of things. And that's why I, I, um, I used to do research just once a week, every Sunday. I didn't want to get caught up with day to day. So I would do every Sunday, I would have a five hour skull session with me and Steve. We would get in the new office. And we would go through those analytic reports, we read whatever we could. But there wasn't a lot of, at that time, there wasn't a lot of information available to us. This is back in the early 90s, right? And so we just, whatever, we had a satellite dish beaming stuff to us, you know, <laughs> on a very uncommon basis. You know, so, I'm not sure if you're joking or not. That's how, <laughs> how that's what I feel at the moment. <laughs> Some press releases here and there, really bad, you know, just a really bad research platform. But whatever it was, we would spend the five hours doing that. We were big momentum investors. We would track new highs and, and try to find interest stories on the new high list. Uh, but uh, yeah, now we've come a lot further. And like that's one of the things I talk about in the, in the steps too, Andrew, is like, you know, you find your sources, use those. There's some great sources of investing uh, reach tools out there. The value line is a must for any fundamental new kid coming out and want to start investing. Read the value line. 
of course, read Geo Investing, but right. <laughs> GeoVesting.com do that. But I, I, I consider Geo Investing to be a kind of dial on steroids for nano cap microcaps. And the dial on gives a one like a one page kind of summary of a company and then ranks them between its you know timeliness and its riskiness. So a one one would be very timely and very and less risky and not risky and five five is the worst situation. So yeah, so I'm gonna come back to in a second. The value line uh, as standard of four tear sheets, you can, um, you know, the barons, you know, reuse these sources that are out there for you. Animal reports are, in a, are just a great source of information, arbitrage source information. And so something, you know, that's it, it, not in the 10 step thing, but something to really talk about, I think. I don't think I talk about it in 10 step. Is that a, a nice little skill to figure out is like, so the value line would rank stocks one on one. IBD Investments Daily has their rankings to write their high rankings. What I would try and do was find stocks that were moving up that rank but weren't that quite there yet. So can I find a 4-4, four, four, a 5-5, five, five, or a, a really crappy-looking company that I think is going to be more beautiful moving forward so I can get in a value, I can buy it at a very depressed valuation. And so I'm just trying to buy stocks maybe others are avoiding at the time. So I kind of use the value line that way. I didn't want to buy a stock that was 1-1. You know, I made my best kind of money on stocks that were in that middle range, kind of making progress on the way to being a 1-1. Um, same thing with the IBD stuff too. And you do, you do that by doing the research, you know. Um, so can you make money by buying, you know, buying the well ones and, and the high rank IBD ones? Sure. But can, with, with just, a, just a 3 or 4% or 1% alpha that you combine over time is really big. What if you can get like in between a 20% alpha before they, that move comes, right? And that's kind of what I, what I like doing that. Um, one thing is another thing is important to take away from that 10 step thing is, and I don't follow it, by the way. I'm just telling you what the leverage, you know, using leverage. You know, I'm, I'm, I've been a margin. I use, have used some margin in my life. It's done well, but it's been one of the things too that's kind of like held me back at times too, to be honest about it. And you know, you know, look, if you're gonna, if you're going to, it's really important, I think, if you're going to use leverage, to have every part of your other pieces of your financial life very stable, right? <laughs> so you can go through times of distress. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have to, you get a margin call. If you don't want to sell stock, you get, you got to go back to your count your, your cash and get it mm. one thing i would have added to this article didn't add it put in it now it was this thing i um you know creating buckets so when you sell stock i'm only talking about when you make money um this, this is what this, so when you make money you know create the buckets and where that money goes when you sell it you know taxes because if you sell a stock in january right and you, you made a lot of money in the beginning of the year and end of the year comes and you didn't set aside money for taxes. April 15th comes, markets crash, and like this year, now you don't have the cash because you're fully invested. <laughs> now you're selling stocks at you know cheap at, at lower prices to pay your taxes, right? So, you know, that's a good potential, you know, a bucket. A rainy day bucket, which is the bucket where it when and it's gonna not invest at all, you have cash available when the market crashes to deploy, right? Another a third bucket is to pay your, you know, you know, pay your expenses, put money inside to pay your expenses. That's more if you're a part-time or full-time investor. You need to have that kind of going on, right? A rainy day fund for expenses. And then, of course, the amount you reinvest in the stocks. Mm-hmm. You know, if that's, if that's a rule I can follow, it'd be great. <laughs> I don't think I follow it. But if I used to, you know, want to follow something like that, that would, that would be it. So, you know, in my journey, I, along the way, I did get, like, I wanted to, like, use the stock market as one tool to build wealth. So first, make money in the stock market. And said so diversifying with real estate along the way, and I did that. And that saved me in 08 because I got I me, mean, I got crushed in 08. You know? And I was still, I was leveraged in very illiquid companies. 
Some stuff I should have owned. And I was up like 30% going into the financial crisis. You know, 2008 was a tough year. And I thought, okay, I'm, I got this. Tim around up 30%. Everyone's getting crushed. And I like, two, two days, I'm down 70%. <laughs> what just happened there? You know, actually interacting with the whole thing, and like, it was an amazing feeling, even though it was a horrible you know, feeling, to actually see the market at work when liquidity just leaves in that, in that area. Mm-hmm. It just disappeared. And you're now you're fighting with other like sneak attacks. You're fighting with other investors looking at the bid and ask, trying to you know, sneak a sneak a order in there before they get in there. You know? <laughs> so I don't want to go there ever again. But you know, it, it did save me to have that real estate. You know, that, and I bought a lot of that real estate in cash too. So I figured if I'm going to be in leverage in the stock market, I want to be less leveraged in the, in the real estate. Mm-hmm. Um, although I had some debt, which I shouldn't have probably gotten in real estate, but like that saved my butt. I'm having that real estate, and I still have some of that real estate today, earning income for me. So I really, you know, if when you approach, one thing I wish I would have done better too was, although I was very quick to start investing my money, I wish I would have done a little better understanding of risk management, how to build wealth, real wealth, right? What investing long-term really means and understanding that the role of compounding, right? Mm-hmm. I was very short-term oriented in my thing. And if I would have been able to cultivate my long-term investing kind of strategy a little earlier in career, I would have been better off probably. And, you know, now I'm 51, like, you know, can I think, what's my time horizon now? Especially eating, right. eating the pork and beans in Puerto Rico. So when I'm eating there. <laughs> 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 I don't know. But yeah, so either really, you know, as a young guy, I was like, yeah, whatever. But the ones that got it, the ones that understand that do really well, you know, really, are really well rewarded. So, mm-hmm. and I would really, and I know there's probably a lot of traders out there in your audience, state day traders, and I'm not knocking day trading, but try and maybe figure out a, you know, a percentage portfolio of four or five, three, four or five stocks. That you want to put away and just never forget forget about that you've done analysis on and feel comfortable with. Mm-hmm. And so that's really important points there I wanted to kind of bring out there, just from my experiences and my failures and applying my own strategy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's really good stuff. So I have a question for you were talking about kind of the the rainy day bucket fund. Where do you put that kind of money? Do you put that in a savings account? Do you put that in you know, money market accounts, like what do you do with that kind of money when you need it to either invest in the stock market or to pay expenses or if that tax bill is bigger than you expected? Yeah, it's, it's, in, a, it's in a very safe money market kind of, you know, no risk account that's easily accessible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then my goal with that money isn't to make money on it. It's to, it's to actually protect me and, and, you know, be a hedge against my stupidity at some point. Right. <laughs> 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 yeah, and, uh, yeah, that, we're going through that today. I mean, we're going through that now, right? I mean, tax time is coming in April, right? You know, the last couple of months, the three months of the year of, of, of last year were tough, and then this year, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of us are going to go through that kind of this, that, that painful process. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. That's an interesting question because that's something that we get asked a lot is what what do we do with, you know, excess cash or money that we're not ready to invest and where do we put it kind of thing. And so I'm always curious to hear what other people do to kind of help balance out what the best ideas are for all that stuff. Make sure it's there. <laughs> Make sure that money's there, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's only there for that particular reason. Don't go you do what you do with social security. You know, you just Social security funds for other things. <laughs> the government right. does. <laughs> Use it for what it's here for. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we've we've had some people along the way when the market was doing really well, you know, asking us if we should, you know, they want to buy a house, and instead of putting the money in a savings account to save for the house, they want to put it in the market and try to make money on 
you know, their down payment before they turn around and do it. And, you know, Andrew and I have been warning them along the way that that's probably not the best decision because you don't know when something like right now happens. And now all of a sudden your $10,000 down payment is at $4,000. And what do you do? You know, you can't, can't you can't go buy the house. Yes, absolutely. That was, that's, that, that's good advice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So this has been a lot of fun, Maj. Really appreciate you coming on and joining mm-hmm. us. I do want to highlight one last point you made. You say here, find a mentor. So maybe what did that mean for you? And maybe how can people apply that as they're on their own journey to learning more about investing? Right. Well, for me, my mentor was, you know, Peter, Peter and, my, and my dad. Those are the two kind of things. My dad really got me into investing. He gave me the book to read. And my dad was... Not your classical investor, you know, he would he would invest in the, in the, in the well known companies, recognizable companies, but he would also invest in smaller companies, nano caps, you know, and that's was how I first started like getting involved in that whole kind of area. So between him and you know, and the mentor could be you know someone you know, right? It could be it could be a book, it could be something like that you connect with, right? But now you have you know Twitter and everything, you have a, a incredible amount of people you can draw to, and you know the mentor just has to mean you're sitting with that person being taught to invest, right? It can be somebody you connect with in the way they invest, in the way they write, in the way they, you know, now analyst company. That's what I encourage you to do. Now, and don't, don't be afraid to ask somebody, hey, will you teach me to invest or whatever? You like, give me a few tips. If you're young, just, you know, most people want to share that with you. I mean, it feels good to share that wealth and spread, and spread the good word. Yeah, but um, it's, you know, it's, you know, I know at Geo, we do a lot of, you know, one on one consultations with our members. You know, we don't have this thing where you join and it's just one time. You can talk to us whenever you want, do one on one with us. And we'll we'll go through our way we invest. But you know, there's don't be afraid to ask. You know, don't be afraid to look for mentors. You're not like less of a person because you're looking for someone else to help you get better at what you're doing. Not at all. That's awesome. I really like that mentorship idea. Mm-hmm. So, what's the best way for people to learn more about you? Everything you got going on at Geo? Yeah. So we, you can come to geoinvesting.com and you can fill out our often forms to you know. Give us your email and stuff, and start getting some information about what we do. Um, we have a contact form you can fill out on geoinvesting.com. Also, you can send me an email at maj, M-A-J, at geoinvesting.com. Um, you can call me, 267-246-3263 if you want to talk stock. And on Twitter, it's at Maj Geoinvesting. And you can follow Geoinvesting at, at Geoinvesting. Um, and you know what? We're doing a lot of really cool stuff now. Management interviews, a lot more of them. Where, where we're getting fireside chats, what we call tier one quality nano cap companies, which meet a ten point criteria list. So we're getting really tight in our quality, and we're having a lot of fun with that. Man, we're meeting some great CEOs, giving some great stories. And as we're now going into this new era of investing, I think hopefully where it's all about you know stock picking now more so than just buying things blindly. Mm-hmm. Stock picking is an art. And if you're going to be a great stock picker, interviewing management is really key. Uh, can be really key at getting that extra alpha we talked about. So I encourage everyone to like you know um, if we have a, if you want to see some samples of that, you know just um, email us. Maybe I'll give you some samples you can share with your followers, yeah, guys. That'd be and, great. Yeah, to give you a taste of what we're doing. Yeah, that'd be great. I'd love that. 
Cool. All right. That's well, awesome. One day, one day we'll, jam, we'll jam on some guitar too. Dan, yeah, <laughs> that would be fun. I would love that. That would be awesome. I would love to do some jamming. I miss that very much. We really, really appreciate your time today. This was awesome. It was very educational and I learned a lot. I know our listeners will as well. It was a lot of fun and I enjoyed our conversation and especially about the blues, of course. And so without any further ado, I'll go ahead and sign us off. You guys go out there and invest with the margin of safety, emphasis on the safety. Have a great week. and We'll talk to you all next week. We hope you enjoyed this content. Seven Steps to Understanding the Stock Market shows you precisely how to break down the numbers in an engaging and readable way with real-life examples. Get access today at stockmarketpdf.com. Until next time, have a prosperous day. The information contained is for general information and educational purposes only. It is not intended for a substitute for legal, commercial, and or financial advice from a licensed professional. Review our full disclaimer at einvestingforbeginners.com. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.